The devil on your shoulder is your only friend. There he sits just to remind you all good things come to an end. And you can't fight it with the thought you think and the words you say. It doesn't change anything. What can I say about Sarah Shook? She's really one of a kind. A singer, songwriter, guitar player, activist. She really does it all. She has a knack for blending things that seem disparate and making it seem like a natural fit. Honky-tonk and skateboarding? She's on it. Raised in a religious, fundamentalist home, but an advocate for the LGBTQ community? She's on it. It's really cool. I was super excited to see that she has a new album out, and I jumped at the chance to have her on my show. We had a great conversation. I hope you dig it. Okay. Well, the new album is called Night Roamer, and I thought it was a pretty intriguing title. And I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about the album and uh, why you chose that name for the title. Uh, I think it's it's sort of indicative of uh, a type of person that is sort of always looking outside the normal bounds for answers. Um, someone that has a a desire and a drive to understand things that most people probably just don't really, um, really care about or really feel the need to, to have any kind of deep understanding of. Um, I, it, I very frequently go for walks at night when we're on tour, um, especially since I got sober. Um, it's, it's just, a, it's a good, it's all around good for you. You know, it's, it's good for your body. It's good for your brain. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a good activity to kind of keep your mind headed in the right direction. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. And you've been kind of known for, um, blending worlds that, um, are kind of disparate. Um, like I think about the, the music video where you had, um, uh, skateboarding and the song is this kind of honky tonk kind of song. And, uh, yeah, it kind of, that makes sense. It kind of blending things and marginalized things and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good example. So I, I'm, I've been interested for a while in um, in your influences. I, a lot of your, not all of your music um, sounds kind of honky tonky, but there's a good deal there with steel guitar and whatnot. And um, so I was interested in um, uh, why you kind of landed on that sound and uh, w- what musicians kind of um, influenced you in that way. Yeah, um, I really don't have influences, um, and I think that that's probably because of my upbringing like the way that I was raised, I started, I started creating music before I was allowed to listen to music. Um, so there's this whole, uh, I feel like there's this whole sort of developmental stage that most people go, most musicians or artists go through, um, where they have this wide, they have this exposure to a wide range of artists and genres and styles and sounds. Um, and I was working with classical music, (laughs) And, um, and the, the music that the band at church played on Sunday. Um, so I, I really had no, um, I really had nothing to draw on. Um, and especially in those early days, like there were things that I was doing that I, I didn't even have the language for. I didn't know what a chord progression was. 
um, or what a, what a verse and a chorus was and the difference between those things. Um, so in my late teens, when I started listening to music, um, just kind of smuggling music into the house, um, it, it was life-changing. I mean, it was, it's, I can't describe to you like having, you know, 17 years of a concept of what music is and then realizing that like, it's, it is that, but it's, you know, in infinite, uh, options, infinite possibilities, infinite combinations of sounds. And, and, uh, I, you know, on one hand, it's like, yes, it does. It did suck growing up without being able to listen to music. And on the other hand, I'm grateful because I, I feel like it afforded me a very unique relationship with music. Um, so this is a very long answer to your question. No, I apologize. Great. Great. Um, but so when I write a song, um, it's, it's something that, uh, is not formulaic and it's not, um, it doesn't come from a place of discipline. I'm not a writer who's like, okay, you know, I wake up and I have my coffee and then I write for two hours every day and then I go for a walk or whatever. Like it's songwriting is not worked into my schedule. Um, I, I live my life. I have relationships. I collect experiences and my brain along the way, my subconscious like picks things up and makes mental notes. And at some point, it's like my subconscious just like puts everything together and the moment has to be perfect. There has to be no people around. There has to be no feelings of inhibition. And then it's just like the whole song is just written. And from that stage, um, at that time I've written, um, typically most of my songs are three verses and a chorus. Sometimes there's a bridge, sometimes there's more or less verses, but, but not commonly. Um, so at the point that I've written the song, I have the chord progression, the melody, the lyrics, I have a loose arrangement and I bring that song in that form to the band. And that is where the magic happens. Um, because as one person with one instrument, I'm limited in my abilities. And when I bring this song to this particular group of people who have, you know, Eric's been playing guitars in bands since he was like 15 um, and he's in his mid fifties now. Like these are people who have a huge array of influences. Um, you know, he loves, uh, Chet Atkins style of guitar playing. Uh, but you know, he, he also listens to all kinds of other like classic rock. And, um, I think he's like an ABBA fan. Like there's a, just a lot of, um, a lot of appreciation for good music, no matter what the genre is. Um, so when we get together and we start working on a song, there is no strategy and there is no discussion of what do we want this song to sound like. We literally sit there and I'm like, these are the chords. Uh, let's just run through it. You guys pick it up as we go. And it's like to each their own, every person with their own respective instrument is figuring out what they can do to make the song sound the best they feel the song can sound. Um, and so everything that we do, this group effort is a push to basically just make a really good song. Um, and in that way, like it's there, there really isn't an influence. It's like everything is done in service to the song. Right. 
That's interesting. That's a, that's a good process you got going. That's cool. I, I, I'm kind of interested in, in, uh, in your, your childhood. You mentioned um, it, you have a pretty strict um, a Christian upbringing. Um, I, I come from a, I'm a former evangelical myself, uh, so I'm familiar with that world. But was yours, um, did, were you not allowed to listen to anything um, other than like classical and like gospel? Because there's a whole movement of you know, like tooth and nail and MXPX. There was like, you know, Christian like ska and punk and stuff like that. Um, were you yeah. just, were you just kind of, stuck in that whole classical world is that what the upbringing was yeah all of my all of my little buddies at church were listening to like dc talk and mxpx and audio adrenaline and like right. my parents were just like that is music of the devil huh. <laughs> like, wow. jars of jars of clay was too much for my parents <laughs> um <laughs> they're hardcore man <laughs> they i it's, and it's really interesting because you know, at this point in time, my parents have, have come such a long way. I mean, they, you know, they've been like, yeah, we, we thought that what we were doing was protecting you. And, and it was, it was ridiculous. The, the rules that we had were, um, they just, it, you know, we apologize. We felt like we were, we were doing what was best for you, but clearly we weren't. Um, and it's, you know, my dad used to play in bands, like before he had his like salvation experience and met my mom, like he was a lead guitarist in like several rock and roll touring rock and roll bands. Um, and then he had this like come to Jesus moment and he felt like God told him to put down guitar. And it was like something happened in his brain that made music um, some kind of threat to faith, I guess. Um, so he, it was, they were very much purists. And so it was like, he, it's not like I could listen to classical and Christian music. It had to be worship music. Like the format had to be literal adoration of God or whatever. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's, that's pretty tough. That's, that's, that's good to hear though, that you have some kind of resolution with your parents and that, um, they've kind of come around and, and you're still in speaking terms and all that. That's, that's positive. Yeah, for sure cool well i wanted to talk about the song uh talking to myself um i love how catchy that song is and i was wondering if you could just uh, tell us a little bit about that one Yeah, um, I wrote that during, um, like, you know, shortly before the pandemic started. Uh, there, there was just so much, I mean, even before the pandemic in the U.S., like, there was just so much turmoil. There was so much left side, right side fighting. There was so much infighting on, you know, probably both sides. Um, and I felt like it was interesting that the, that the reason that we were having all of these huge, huge problems, most of which were based on miscommunications or just an inability to express uh, our true thoughts and feelings on, on various subject matter. Um, I felt like the problem is that we get stuck in these cycles of, um, finding information that supports whatever we believe. And I think that it's very human to do that. I think that like from a psychological point of view, that is a, a natural action, but it, it 
made me realize that one of the things so many people are afraid of is people are more afraid of appearing to be wrong than actually being wrong. Um, And then I just sort of fell into this rabbit hole of like, there's really nothing wrong with realizing that you've made a mistake or realizing that the way that you thought in the past is wrong. Like all of us should be just trying to like do our best and figure out how to live our lives in the best way. Um, And I feel like failure and being wrong is like a very natural part of life. And it's certainly a natural part of any kind of growth any of us hope to do. So talking to myself was, just sort of a tongue-in-cheek look at our our tendency to uh, reinforce our own ideas to ourselves in our own heads, um, and also to to kind of find information that supports our beliefs and kind of stick to our own side of issues because um, it's you know looking at looking at an issue from someone else's point of view is scary and it requires a level of vulnerability that most of us aren't willing to put ourselves in. Absolutely. And it kind of puts us in the position of uh, being in an echo chamber and um, given into groupthink, And that's, that's always a dangerous place to be in. For sure. Absolutely. Well, the, uh, the song, no mistakes is, is really great too. And I, I love this line where you say, well, well, I gave my best and fell short by a mile and no man got no business telling you to smile. And, uh, I was just interested in, in, in how that line made that in that song and, and how that whole song came to be. actually the definitely the oldest song on the record um i i think i wrote that song in like 2009 um and the first version of the song had uh i think one of the verses was different but we've you know my first band sarah shook and the devil used to play that song and it evolved over time uh at the time that i wrote it i was working as a bank teller and i had a um a client who was particularly annoying and every time he came in the branch, he would say inappropriate, whether it was just like, you know, why don't you smile? Or like, you know, why don't you smile for me? Or like, I like your skirt. Will you twirl for me? Just like dumb that like any grown person should know better. Um, and I, it just, I don't know. I feel like very often I try to, plant little seeds in my songs where it's like, it's really not making a definitive statement, but it is something that people kind of take notice of. And with any luck, you know, they, they think about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, that, that, just that whole, um, th- there's a whole, I just feel like that, that line kind of unveils a whole world of, um, just kind of awful things that men do to women in general. And, uh, I just thought that was cool. Like it, it made it in there and it's like a, it's like a statement, but it doesn't go off on a whole, the, the whole song isn't about that, but it, it definitely makes a statement that I thought was really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like in, in, whether it's in songwriting or just, in life in general, my, my deal is like, you know, we're not, 
we're not here to change minds. We're here to plant seeds. Right. That's good. Uh, the, um, the song, It Doesn't Change a Thing, has uh, this cool juxtaposition that um, I, I was, it made me think about one of your earlier songs, like Good as Gold. Um, you, you wrote, um, you've been left to your own devices. And, oh, yes, they're all vices. And then in, in Good as Gold, you had a line, uh, the first line from the song is, I'm, I'm afraid of losing, not afraid of losing you. And I, I, that was one of my favorite lines off that whole album. And uh, I just thought it was cool how you, you do these uh, kind of juxtapositions with, song, with, with lines and whatnot. And uh, it was just kind of interesting in that song yeah uh i i feel like uh you know words are fun <laughs> um and and we should have fun with them um i you know there's a time and a place for that um and i certainly uh you know i certainly feel like it's it's overdone sometimes i feel like there is a, a really fine balance of knowing when and where to sort of use a, a double word um or make some kind of word play uh, but I feel like if it's done in the right moment um, and with the right cadence, it, it can be really effective, I think. So um, I'm also interested in your um, your activism. I know in the past you've um, been involved with um, uh, setting up um, uh, shows and um, a festival for like the LGBTQ community and um, uh, pretty active in, in just uh, in, it's talking about stuff online as well um, about you know, like recently you had a post about um, anti-racist um, uh, posts on, on, on social media. And uh, I'm just interested in um, uh, where all that comes from and why that's important to you and uh, what you've been um, doing lately. Oh, I just, I, I feel like as, uh, especially as a person with privilege, um, uh, it, it, I have a responsibility to do anything that I can do to help um, within reason to, um, to inform. And again, like going back to the principle of like planting seeds, uh, not necessarily changing minds. Um, and part of that principle I feel is that when you set out to sort of distribute information without being attached to an end goal, it's the most respectful way that you can approach that because you're giving the person the opportunity to, form their own conclusions. You know what I mean? To like consider what you have to say um, and, and sort of form their own conclusions. Um, and it's, it's hard. I, I, because of my upbringing, there were things that I absolutely did not even kind of understand until I was well into my twenties. Um, structural racism being one of them. Um, you know, I, I was very sheltered and very isolated. And when I started sort of experiencing being out in the world and being objectified and, um, you know, cat called or not taken seriously or, you know, whatever, showing up to a, a show and like having someone sort of not realizing that you're the artist because you're a woman, like it, it's, in the early days, I, I was really, really angry about it. And part of the anger was just like, I had no idea that this was happening and nobody prepared me for this. Like I felt, uh, sort of thrown in the deep end, you know? Um, and I, I feel like I had to learn a lot really fast. Um, and the same, same principle applies with racism. Um, as Anybody in this country, every person in this country who is white is socialized towards racism. Um, we live in a society that has 
you know, very much stacks the deck. Um, and, uh, you know, as, with the amount of research that has been done and the amount of data that's out there, um, anyone that tells you otherwise just simply doesn't want to believe things. Um, and, and that's, to me, that's like something that uh, puts me on guard too, because it's like, if people, if people decide what they do and don't believe or do and don't want to believe simply based on how they feel about it. Like I need to be aware of that for myself and I need to like check myself and make sure that um, I'm not like being biased in the things that I'm saying and doing as well. Um, I, you know, I came out a couple of years ago as non-binary. I've been out as bisexual for like 15 years or something like that. Um, I had a really tough coming out experience and I, I just felt like after that moment, um, I was like, this is the worst it can get. And I, I never want to go through this again. So from this point on, I'm just going to be out. Um, and I mean, I'm, I'm non-binary, I'm bisexual, but I'm pretty much straight passing. I mean, like if you ran into me in the grocery store, your first thought wouldn't be like, oh, this is a non-binary person. Um, any, any group of people who is marginalized, um, I, I feel like I have a responsibility to understand um, as, best, as best as I can the issues that they're facing and to put myself in their shoes, which, of course, you can't ever 100% do. Um, but you have to try and um, you have to have empathy um, and you have to not center yourself when you're addressing these issues. And I think that that's a, that's a place where a lot of really well-meaning white artists fail. Um, their heart's in the right place. They, you know, they want to talk about institutional racism and structural racism, but they tend to center themselves in the conversation. Um, and my hope is that in the, in the coming, the next coming couple of years here, especially, I feel like more people are going to be aware of that as they grow and develop as people, um, and, uh, just keep the focus where the focus needs to be, which is on furthering equity and equality. That's great. Yeah. And, and there's been a, a lot more artists in the last few years who have um, been very vocal about that. And um, if you just look at like the last 20 years, how much different, how much change there's been. Obviously we're not in a perfect spot in any way, but um, there has been a lot of progress in the last um, couple decades in regards to these issues. And um, I think it's great when artists like you, speak up and talk about these things and, and that uh, make it an issue. Yeah. The, the more, the merrier we need all, all hands on deck, <laughs> right? Especially in the comment sections. <laughs> <laughs> I just avoid the comment sections. I don't even look anymore. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> it just feels like, uh, I don't know, like at least just all Russian bots commenting, like what is going on? It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> craziness well um you got the new record coming out and uh, are you going to be hitting the road um and uh, touring in support of the record we have a album release show february 18th at the cat's cradle in north carolina um real, pretty close to where i live actually um and then the next thing we have on the books is a cruise <laughs> um 
which I just spoke to um, our agent about a couple days ago, and I was like, man, what's the what's the deal with this thing? Uh, but as far as I know, it's it's on. Um, I mean, we're all boosted. We're all vaxxed and boosted. Um, everybody in the band is really careful um, because we love our jobs and we want to do our jobs, and that entails, I mean, I, I've basically been home since the pandemic started with the exception of a few shows. I think we played 35 shows last year, um, as opposed to 150, which is normal for us. Um, but unless I'm, I mean, if we're not on tour, if I'm home, like the only time I'm leaving my house is to go to the grocery store to get my son or to drive my son to and from school for like appointments. That's it. Um, we have had almost no social life whatsoever for the duration. Um, and I, I know that like everyone's ability to, to do that is, you know, the grass is always greener sort of situation. Um, so yeah, I, I, we have stuff on the books and it's, it's not as heavy a year as we usually have. We've got like a, I think it's like the middle of August to middle of September. We're supposed to be in Europe and Scandinavia. And I mean, there's just no telling at this point. It's just like, we have stuff on the books. I'm excited about it. Um, but there's, there's just, you know, there's, there's no guarantee if one person in our touring party gets diagnosed at this point in the pandemic, like the tour is over, everybody has to go home. Um, so we're all just being as careful as possible because we want to tour. <laughs> right. Um, is, and, is the tour uh, over because you have to, um, you'd have to like reschedule everything. Like you have to, you have, even if it's only five days, then it offsets everything else. Is that why it is? It, you have to cancel everything. I mean, from, from the things that I'm seeing on social media, uh, other bands that are out and touring, like if, if a member of the touring party tests positive, like the remaining venues on the rest of the tour, like they don't, they don't want you there. Oh, wow. Uh, because all of you have been exposed to COVID. This person's like in your van. Um, so it's, it's very tricky. And I've seen a lot of articles talking about, you know, are we entering the endemic phase of the pandemic and mm-hmm. um i feel like there's a lot that will sort of reveal itself in time it's going to be an interesting year one way or another yeah yeah i was just listening to a um, new york times the daily podcast this morning they were talking about that about the transition into the next phase of things and whatnot and, eh, yeah it, it's just it's yeah you just it's you gotta wait yeah a lot of patience and figuring this whole thing out yep absolutely Cool. Well, what's the best place if people want to know more about you, find your music and find you on social media and all that, what, what's the best place to find you online? Um, you can find us at disarmers.com. Uh, we have uh, a about section in a web store. You can pre-order Night Roamer. Um, and you can also stream us on Spotify, Apple Music. We have a lot of music up on YouTube as well. Um, yeah. Cool. Is, is the album coming out on vinyl too? It is. Fantastic. I love that. Yep. All right. Well, hey, the, the album sounds amazing. There's some great songs on there, and uh, I think you're a, a fantastic artist. And uh, thanks for, for connecting with me today. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Well, I hope you have a good one. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Sarah for connecting with me. Don't forget to support her online. And while you're at it, support the show. Give me a follow on Instagram and Facebook. Like and follow the show wherever you listen. Leave a comment and tell a friend. Until next time, everybody. 
Have a good one. Doesn't change anything